So episode 14, this is pretty exciting because you're the first pro athlete I've had on the, on the show so far. So I'm excited, but uh, welcoming uh, Miss Rachel Cliff today. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And um, so I, I'm excited because I, I don't know, well, b- before we get into it, so you're a, a runner and a very legit one at that. And it's kind of nice because I actually don't really know a lot about running or, you know, I'm, I'm, I just started running myself because uh, I hate it so much because <laughs> it's, it's hard, but uh, it gets easier than what you do, it. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so I'm really excited to have you here and we got, um, we, we discussed a few topics and whatnot. So I think we'll get into those and the usual tangents and whatnot and have a good time, the usual the usual stuff. Um, so I guess to start, uh, tell us where you're from, where you grew up. I'm from Vancouver, so I grew up. I grew up here, and um, I went away from university, lived in Guelph, Ontario, for six years, and then came back to Vancouver. So I mean, I've traveled quite a bit, like through my sport, but there's really no place like Vancouver. I think for training, for living, for everything. So, and I got into distance running when I was. I got into the sport when I was in like grade four, but not competitively. Like when I was a kid, my parents had this rule that every term I had to do a sport and wasn't super coordinated, played soccer. I loved horseback riding. That was probably actually my first like sport that I really loved, but it's not as much of a sport. So um, yeah, soccer was kind of my go-to. I didn't like basketball because I was short. didn't like volleyball because the ball would hit me and it would hurt. So Running was like a pretty straightforward sport, no tryouts and things like that. I wasn't like naturally good at the beginning because I think when you're a kid, they have you do a lot more speed work, like a lot more like 400s, 800s, are kind of the events that um, kids do and that wasn't my thing. So so I got older, um, kind of like grade 10 and started doing more 3Ks and road races. I really found my own and then pretty quickly um, saw success, joined a track club and just... Um, yeah, once that happened and once I got into the sport, it was kind of like nothing else in the world really mattered. And I, I went to university for school, but also um, for running and then kind of did my master's, but on the side was still running. And in that time, I really started to take off. Um, so by the time I graduated from my master's, I was gunning for the 2016 Olympics, which I just missed. And then since then, I haven't wanted to make any mistakes. So I've been followed into running since then. So it's funny. I think you're one of the few people, because I'm the same way, who's actually grown up in Vancouver. It's <laughs> so common for people. Anytime you meet anybody here, it's like, oh, they've moved from somewhere else. So it's actually yeah. funny. So bo- yeah, born and raised out this way then. Totally. Yeah. No, it's, I always wonder if I wasn't from here, would I still find myself back here? Because I really don't think there's anyone in the world like this place. So I know, especially when going back to the UK, then coming back home, it's like, man, you forget how... Vancouver is an awfully unique city. It's great. It's a great town. I love it here. Totally. Yeah. And so with the running then, so currently you're a, mar- you're into, you're a marathon runner. Yeah. Yeah. Marathon and 10 K. So, um, and I, I still love the 5 K, but once you move up to the marathon, it's pretty tough to do anything much shorter than a 10 K. Well, and when did you transition from, so were you always into the marathon running or that was a... No, that's really new. And I, I fought it pretty hard. Um, <laughs> like, to be honest, I really... Um, the marathon's risky. Like, it's, it's you can get hurt. You, can, um, you can't do too many of them a year. 
um, it's important to keep up with speed work. I think um, even in the new year, he'll probably put some focus on trying to have a good 10K. It's, it's important to keep touching on speed. If you just do marathon work, it, it can get bad. But I, um, yeah, I've, my whole athletic career, I've really fought being a distance runner. There's kind of this like thought within the elite running world that if you can't go faster, you go longer. It's not actually true because there's different challenges in each event. But like, you know, the joke is if you could do anything, you do the hundred meters. So everyone who runs longer than that, you know, wasn't good at the hundred. Um, again, I don't think that's the case, but it's kind of funny. But I, um, yeah, when I was in high school, the 3K was really like what took off for me. Like the second that I was able to do the 3K, not the 1500, which is what the kind of two distance disciplines um, that you do in grade 11 or 12. Um, just went really well. And then when I went to university, um, I kind of found some speed and actually raced decent 1500s. And I stayed in that event for probably longer than I should have. Like I probably would have seen some success had I moved to the 5K earlier, but um, I just really want, enjoyed the 1500. I liked the racing aspect of it. Like the shorter you go, the more tactics play in, which is kind of fun. And so I embraced that for as long as I could. And then in 2013, it was just like, abundantly clear that my 15 time wasn't going to get me what I wanted and the 5k could so I moved up to that and then in 2016 for the Olympics I kind of had the same discovery with the 10k so at the end of that season I moved the switch to the 10k um, that took me until 2018 and then um, just kind of tried out a marathon in Berlin and went really well so then did a second one and then came back for a track season after that Sorry, I'm just writing notes over here. Just no, no track of everything. Jeez. So that's really interesting then. So now when it comes to that, because so obviously running's a an individual sport, but you do have, I guess you technically do have a team, you have a coach. Um yeah. so how flexible is it? Because like you said, like you 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 went through a bunch of different like 5k and 1500, like so all these different um, you know, different, yeah, yeah. Issues, yeah. How much do you get to say, you know, I want to do this or I want to do that versus, because I imagine yeah, you know, there's, really there's other people the involved. Yeah, it really depends on the relationship with your coach. And in my opinion, the healthier the coach-athlete relationship is, the less say you have, which I know sounds mm-hmm. weird. But if you have a coach who cares, who you trust, um, you know, they, they can tell you, um, that's that the athlete has a lot of say, like, obviously, um, you know, but typically you're on the same page. Like, you know, if I went to my coach and was like, I want to focus on the 1500 meters a summer, he'd be shocked. Um, and we'd be like, well, sure, whatever. But, uh, that's probably not in your best interest. I think, um, like the discussion to move up to the marathon was a bit of a big change. Like within, if you have 1500 meter runners, that's kind of like middle distance you can and should do some 800s and you can and should do some 3Ks, maybe even 5Ks. A lot of it depends on how the coach approaches the training. So if the coach is more kind of a natural long distance coach and feels that you need a lot of strength to run a good 15, then they'll probably have you do more like 1500, I mean, 3Ks, 5Ks, where you might have a 1500 meter coach who predominantly coaches more like 800 and feels that the secret to the 1500 is like you kick at the end of the race. It's all about the 800. So then you might have like more of an 800 feel to it. And I think that different athletes will kind of gravitate to the coach that fits for them that way as well. Um, 
So yeah, with my current coach, like switching between the 5k and the 10k wasn't a big deal. Like the training he does is really similar. Um, yeah, like it, it didn't make that big a difference. I think, you know, I obviously ran a bit more volume and had a few more long workouts, but there wasn't anything in it that was that drastically different. And then, um, as I got more focused on the 10k, kind of the same analogy as the 1500, if you're focusing on the 10k, it's good to run a good half marathon as well and have some good 5k. So it's kind of like, you know, continuum on like a color chart where you're kind of like moving to like the yellow, but there's still some green and some orange and that type of feeling. So when I moved up to the 10k, we started doing a lot more, almost like a mini marathon build. So when I did a few half marathons, we kind of approached them like a short marathon and I responded really well to that. So that was where the conversation to move it to the marathon came about. But like I said, that was a bigger, that was a bigger change because the 5k and the 50, the 5k and the 10k are so similar. Um, and even the half marathon's not that different, but the, with the marathon, you're really getting to a zone that's tough to get out of once you get into. So that was more of a conversation. And because I'm, I'm not very uh, knowledgeable on the, the running world. How long is a marathon? It's 24? It's uh, 20. Wow, I paused there. <laughs> 26 miles, um, 42.2 kilometers. Okay. All right. Um, so it's like rough. a random extra 200 meters at the end. Um, it's right. a long way. It's like it's two to two hours, 10 of you an elite male and two hours, 25 of you an elite female. So, you know, you're out there for like... Um, yeah, quite a while. So it's a very, whereas a, a 10K is about half an hour. So it's like still a long race, but it's not like you don't need to fuel during it. You don't need to worry mm -hmm. about hydration. There's a lot, a lot less that goes into it. And it's, so it's kind of nice because as someone who doesn't really know a whole lot about this, kind of like, because I get to ask a bunch of stuff. So it's, it's kind of fun. <laughs> but why? So when you say that the, the five and the 10 are pretty similar, to me, I'm like, well, it's double. So I know. wouldn't it yeah. like that, that seem, cause you're like, oh yeah, it's kind of the same thing. So what, what's yeah, yeah. That? I, I mean, I'm not like an, I am not like an exercise physiologist, so I don't have all the, the lingo, but I definitely know how they feel and they're different. Like I, I think one big mistake I see people do with these longer races is they go, oh, the 10 K is 25 laps of the track. Like a 10 K is 25, 400. It's not, it's 25, 400 without rest. So like, you don't want to be thinking it in, you, know, you don't want to divide any race into 25 segments and think that's going to go well. And even thinking that a 10 Ks to five Ks is actually the, a mistake because of the way that they, um, they get, a five K is more like a two K with a three K warm up, and a 10 K is more like a three K with a seven K warm up. Like if you, in terms of how they feel, um, in, in some ways, actually the five K is less painful than the 10 K. It's mentally much more challenging, but, um, but physically, like if you are hitting the 5K mark, feeling like you would at the 5K mark of a 5K, it's not going to go well. So it's, they're kind of subtle, but like really it's, it's 16 minutes and 31 minutes. So it's like 15 and 31 minutes. They're not, um, they're quite similar zones in so many ways. And I think it's largely that you kind of find yourself on this threshold for quite a while. And again, in the 3K, it's 10 minutes of that threshold. And in the um, 10k it's more like 22 minutes at that threshold um, the challenge with the 10k I find is like obviously if it's hot it's way worse than the 5k so that's the biggest difference is doing a 5k in the heat isn't 
it's not going to go well, but doing a 10K in the heat is really quite miserable. One of the, um, there, there's a guy that um, I, I, once I started getting more involved in um, with the, the Guinness World Record attempt, um, started kind of reaching out and reading a lot more books and podcasts and whatnot and came across this one guy. Um, I talk about him all the time on the podcast too. People probably get sick of me mentioning him. <laughs> but um, David Goggins, um, who's a Navy SEAL, blah, 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 like quite a military record. And he's a ultra marathoner and a bunch of, does a lot of crazy stuff. But one of the funny things that he mentioned um, when he started getting really into running was that he doesn't run. Now, okay, this is obviously, you know, it's kind of, he's a savage, so it's a little yeah. bit different, but. Um, I was out there. Oh yeah, he's, he's an interesting fella. And, but one of the things that was kind of funny was that whenever he runs, he can time it just off, just knowing like his internal clock. Um, yeah. So obviously as somebody who's been running for quite a few years now, um, how, like, can you kind of gauge, cause obviously like taking a coach and all that out of the equation, but just for yourself, cause when you're running an actual event, um, yeah. do you have like a watch? Like, do you have an ability to kind of gauge your pace or is it just by that muscle memory and just feel? Yeah, like a, a lot of it is probably most of the second in a, it depends on where you're on the season. Like for me, um, I have a reputation of looking at my watch way too much. Um, <laughs> like I find that when I'm, when I'm fit, I know, like I don't have to think twice. Like it's crazy how specific you can get. Like your coach will give you, you know, 400 repeats and he wants you to do like 20 of them or something. And they, they're supposed to be in like 72 seconds. And you're a little bit nervous. So you go out and you're like, at the beginning of a workout like that, like you might be, yeah, like kind of nervous. And sometimes when you're nervous, you err on the side of going too fast. Cause you're like, oh, what if I'm slow? What if I'm slow? And you finish in like 70 seconds and you're like, whoops, you knew the whole time that you weren't running 72 seconds. Like you, you knew. And by the second up, you're 72, 72, 72. And similarly, like sometimes you'll fall asleep and run like a 73, 74. But like, again, you kind of have a feeling that you um, did messed up that way. I find that's when you really fit though. Like for me, when I'm coming off of um, taking time off or first getting back to the track, it takes me quite a bit to like get used to that. I think more so than some other runners because I'm not that naturally fast. So once I get my kind of like running economy back, it's fine. Um, but it, a lot of it's practice. So if you're on the track two days a week doing stuff like that, like it's pretty, you get really good at gauging your effort. And a lot of it is just like, if I would have to run this for 15 minutes, would I be going this fast? And so that can be like a really good, that, that would be 5K pace and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, no, it's like, it's interesting how like you do need some, some feedback. So if you're racing on the track, also a lot of it will depend on like tactics. So if you have to go time trial uh, time, it's a lot less um, emotionally draining if you have someone set the pace for you because setting a pace does take thought like it, and that thought takes energy. So ideally you'd have a friend or someone you've paid to, to set the pace for you for a few kilometers. So you just don't have to think. And then by the time they leave, you kind of locked in like a metronome and you can keep going and hopefully go faster once they even step off. Um, but if you find yourself in a tactical race, no one actually wants to lead. So a lot of the time, like you'll know the pace is slow, but it kind of is what it is. And then by the time, the pace opens up it's like you just go as fast as you can till the finish line and hope you win because like 
once yeah once it breaks up like in a for example in like um a 10k um I think it was the world championships the first one I ever did we opened like so slow like it was I think we actually I, I remember at the time but it was something insane like my coach and I talked before the race about how like what I should do with those different paces because I definitely don't do as well on like sit and kick slow races with a fast finish and he like set some time that was like there's no way it would be slower than this time and like I want to say it was like 90 seconds for 400 whereas like our race pace was 76 like it was like something that was like insane like tripping over each other and just and um, yeah, I was kind of laughing because my coach was like, under no circumstance you take the lead. It's not going to be any slower than this. <laughs> I was like, it is. But, um, but it ended up running actually crazy fast. Um, that was my PB that day because once it opened up, it actually flowed really nicely. And um, like, it's kind of interesting how your body, like it kind of gets to the finish line at the same pace no matter what happens. But on that day, like obviously once we took off, like, my last 5k was really fast and I you talked to me two years ago I could have told you all the times but I don't remember anymore but it was like a really quick last 5k because I was warmed up and I was rested and I had people around me and so that was by no means like probably a no lap in that race that I ever do 10k pace because it was so like stop 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 go you know but those are the more fun races in the marathon it's much more important to like have your pace down um, no matter what I know I'm kind of, I'm going to be kind of jumping a little bit around yeah, here. Yeah, no, but, don't worry. Um, I was just like, so how many events do you think that you've actually competed in at, at this oh, point? So many. I mean, it depends what you count as an event, I guess. Oof, it's you like, tell you know, me. like a scrimmage match <laughs> for kids versus like, you know, a big competition. I mean, this year has been really sad, not racing. I normally do better during a lot of races and some of them caring more about than others. Um, the typical year like pre-covid um mm-hmm. and pre-marathoning i think i have a look at that but i mean some years i would have raced like 10 15 times like decent oh wow at least but some of they'd be all different distances um but probably only like three or four of those would have been like races that i was focused on and cared about and really dialed into so. right and but COVID, it's been two. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's, <laughs> no, I know. It's a shit show and a half. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, get if you're running a marathon, uh, competing, how many of those would you do? Any? I mean, I don't. Yeah. I don't no know, more than but, three. Like no more than three. Um, two is probably smart. Um, yeah, they're pretty tough on your body, and in a marathon build, um, I really think, and I think we've learned this two from the last two I've done and how I've responded them to I, I do well if I race even during them so you might like actually the marathon I've only done two marathons before but the second one I did was faster than the first so um my personal best uh build I randomly did like a 5k on the track like halfway through just it just made sense in the training and my coach was like you could just drop down into those 5k didn't do anything to train seriously for it but but in that build, I ran one half marathon, an 8K, and a 5K. And the half marathon I focused on and I like tapered for and took seriously, but the um, the 8K and the 5K were like just last minute decisions. It's like a workout, but you can get a bit more quality. No, that's fair. And 
Yeah, because that's so it's only now when you prepare for a marathon, because I guess so is that then out of all, all the different events that you've done, the marathon is the most difficult one? It's I would say so. And it's funny, I wouldn't have said this like after my first one went really like natural for me. And I think I benefited a lot from um, being really fit going into it and having had a really solid track season. I was just so fit and we just basically. I went from running a lot of speed to running a lot of volume and um but yeah the marathon's really tough like it's I you see the first one I kind of had like I don't say beginner's luck but like it just went everything came together well and I I think yeah there was some beginner's luck to it and the second one would ended up being quite challenging and like halfway through the build for it we actually decided I wasn't going to do the marathon because it was going so badly um, and then I was hoping to do the Tokyo Marathon. This was back in 2018. So it had been, or 29, sorry, 2019. And I'd been hoping to do the Tokyo Marathon. I didn't get in and my training was going terrible. So we were like, okay, just stop the marathon. And we'll do something else. And then I got a really nice offer from a women's only marathon in Japan. And the guy who puts it on is a really like, nice um, person. I've met him a few times and it was a nice like, it just made sense. Like the, the timing made sense, everything about it. And so my coach was like, well, like let's train for a month and see how it goes and actually went decent. And then I ran pretty well. So both of them were really like fluky ones. Whereas the third and fourth time I tried to train for a marathon, like, well, even actually the second one was a bit of a wake up call as to how tough the event is. Like it's a lot of volume, a lot of thought. And I think the saddest thing is that you can put all this work in and then um the race gets canceled or you get sick on the day or something like that like on the track you can <laughs> pre-covid you could always find another race so it was a little bit more forgiving that way so yeah right and that's the, th the thing that i always forget about marathons is that you, you it's not like traditional sports where it's like you have a game and then you go to the game because it's scheduled it. Yeah. You know, you actually have to like, it's now, is it safe to say like you, you enter or like you're, it's more like you're chosen, I guess. Yeah. It's kind of different at the elite level. Like, um, yeah, like you have to kind of, I mean, like if you're like really good, like if you're like, you know, truly, truly, truly world-class, you would pick the one you'd want to do and they'd pay you at the level I'm at. It's kind of like, you know, some races will let you in, some won't let you in, some will pay you, some won't pay you. So those all like factor into what you want to do. The whole marathon scene is pretty new to me in some ways. So in total then four marathons? Uh, no, two successfully. And then, um, yeah, I mean, COVID's been so strange. So for me, I was going to do, I wanted to do the Tokyo Marathon in 2020 and 2019. And I actually didn't get into the Tokyo Marathon initially, um, again, for 2020. The kind of cutoff for the elite field is really elite, like, um, you know, aiming for world record type of times. And so unless you're Japanese, then it's a little bit better. So I didn't get in again the second time. And I was kind of like sad about it because I just one of those bucket list marathons I'd really wanted to do. So my agent was awesome. And he went back and was like, can you just let her in? Like, don't, you don't need to pay, just like let her in. And they did. And so that was like awesome. And I was super excited for that opportunity. And then COVID came. And um, so then it got like really messy. My dad was going to come out with me. We were kind of like excited to have a little trip to Japan uh, together and do this marathon. And then um, 
instead of canceling the whole race, what they did is they canceled like only the elites. I mean, only the sub elites, like elites were allowed to run. Everyone else wasn't. And my coach took one look at the field and was like, you can't do this. Like it was like me and then like a five minute gap. And then a bunch of, you know, Japanese, Kenyans, Ethiopians who were running like five minutes faster than me. And then there was a few people like three minutes behind me, but there was no one in between. And he was like, this isn't going to help you. Like you, and so we tried to be like, well, could I get a pacer? And actually a local Vancouver runner had kindly agreed to go pace me if I wanted. And so that was kind of getting set up. But then again, like this is COVID was happening, but we didn't appreciate how serious it was. And Japan did like they, you know, they, they were pretty on it pretty quickly. And so they were like, no, no extra people, which now makes so much sense. But at the time it was like, what do you mean? Like one more person, what, what could that do? Um, and so we had to pull out of that race, which sucked after having put in all this work to get into it and then to kind of cancel on it. Um, but when I looked at the start list and like the way the race went down, it was definitely the right call. And so then at the last minute, there was a marathon in Spain, the Barcelona marathon. It looked like a really good opportunity. So my agent got me into that one. Yeah. And then COVID really hit. So like literally 24 hours before we were supposed to go, um, the the race canceled which was great i'm so happy to have in that order not the other way um right. but like to give you an idea of how quickly it happened like i messaged the airbnb host that my dad and i was staying at a week before because i was kind of feeling like it was going to get canceled and i was like hey like we might have to cancel the trip is it possible that you know i get my money back and i got this long note from him about how not to be worried about the covid cases in spain there was none in Barcelona. It was only in like Madrid. It was, and I have it saved in my phone. It was like, it was a nicest note, but it was like, I hope you can come to Spain and feel safe here. And yeah, that didn't happen. So that that was kind of like the second marathon. And then I was going to be doing a marathon in the U.S. Um, in Arizona um, next week, like oh this weekend, the twentieth. Oh, wow. And um, I've had to pull out of that one because of an injury that's come up. So um, yeah, it's been like. And even we looked pretty seriously at the Valencia Marathon as well, um, which was last weekend. But again, the timing um, with this little niggle I've been having, plus um, just traveling internationally, it seemed like there's been a lot of moving parts right now, trying to figure out what you should do. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now with the, you mentioned with the Tokyo Marathon, the, the times how it was like they were either five minutes ahead or several <laughs> minutes slower that yeah. like is that a common like, that seems no, very not strange for women. Yeah. yeah so the nice thing um as you would have said the great thing of being a female distance runner is that there's a lot of like decent men who run like my pb in the marathon is 226 high so two hours and 26 minutes and 56 seconds and there's a lot of you know, decent elite men running that time. So for a guy to break two hours, they like, have to be training, they have to respect the sport and take it seriously, but they don't need to be like freak of nature world-class. Mm-hmm. And and same thing with the the crazy, like, you know, elite world record holders for women running around like under two hours and 20, like there's a lot of guys who in those times. And so as a female, it's a lot easier um, to have paces. And even for the Tokyo Marathon, I've kind of got to know on Instagram like a few Japanese guys and I'd messaged with a few of them and they would like set up these people to run with me like some you know a few guys who wanted to run the same time as me um but then obviously um well not obviously but when 
Tokyo went to cancel their fields, they just left the elites. They'd not the sub-elites. Um, and like I said, at the time, it all just seemed so crazy. Like I couldn't believe it was happening. I was like, there's no way you get the virus. I'm like running beside someone for two and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, oh wait. Yeah. So <laughs> it um, kind of made sense in hindsight, but at the time it was, seems crazy. Yeah, that's, I know. I mean, <laughs> thankfully, I mean, you know, things work out the way they work out, I guess, right? But, totally. and yeah, so wow, yeah. So now I'm just wondering for the, like just the, the training process then for America, like taking the fact that, you know, the race gets canceled or whatever, like, you know, 2020 yeah. is a weird year, right? But <laughs> generally speaking, um, like what, what's the, cause I mean, I guess for you recently getting into marathon running, how difficult was it for you to just conceptualize the training differently? Or was it not like, was it a decent transition for you? Yeah, it's, it's definitely been challenging in some ways. Like, um, like I say, I'm, I'm hoping to uh, come back and do a little bit more speed work because I kind of, I kind of miss it. Like, it's definitely a really different um, approach to training. And the first marathon build I did was like, just really magical. Like it, it came so naturally and it, it came together really well. But even that one, it's like, it's the only event that you train for and you literally don't know if what you're doing is working or not. Like in the 5K and the 10K, you kind of have a pretty good sense going in. in. The marathon, you can just put yourself in such a hole that you're so tired. And like with the Berlin Marathon, it was just such a great example for me because um, I only trained for it for like 10 weeks. Like it was a really short, um, short marathon build. So I had this whole track season. I'd been a bunch of... Um, you said it was probably in the best shape of my life that spring. And so I, I'd come in and I mean, but doing like, you know, in June doing eight by a kilometer and getting down to under three minutes and it wasn't challenging. Like I was like, you know, started at three or threes and maybe got down to like two fifty sixes. Um, very little vest, just like, you know, clipping along lots of speed, took a week off and then started right into the marathon build did some kilometers I think I did 12 of them so a few more than eight but like you know similar thing and like whereas I might have got two minutes for the the race like the the stuff in the summer I got 75 seconds it's a big difference but it's not like night and day you know I was like three minutes and 20 seconds and I could hardly keep the pace like I was like 20 seconds slower and it was tough and it was like a month later and I was training way harder so the marathon's kind of like that like you're kind of like, you're really, it messes with you. Cause you're like, is this like, what's going on? And then the second we started the taper, we were going to Berlin and doing like my last workout. And my coach had given me these times. It was like, you cannot run any faster than like 524 mile. And at that point I hadn't ran like 524 mile for like two months. So I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, why would I do that? I can't even do that anymore but I hadn't been running. So I've been taking, like I've been running, but I've been, you know, doing my taper. And I think my first mile, I was like 513 and like running shoes. Like it was so, and it was like so much faster than what, um, when he'd asked when I had to really back off. And even then, like every time was way faster than he'd asked. And it felt fine. I mean, at the end of the day, your coach gives you times, but you, you do know if you left the zone or not. And I didn't, but, um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the marathon. Like you go into this hole and you just don't know. And then on the flip side, um, if you're going to get hurt and you're training for a marathon, it can get really bad really quickly. And 
there's just a lot more like um it's really important to like read your body and, and know what's going on and trust it too you know and with that because i know for uh someone like me who's just like a you know I, i'm doing I, I run for training but like nowhere near you know an, an elite level you know just like probably a, a couple steps higher than the casual guy but that's probably about right. um but the biggest thing that i am aware of when it comes to just training for me would be uh focusing on your heart rate so the different heart rate zones for someone at the elite level like yourself are you more is it just purely time because your body just you've been doing it for so long that your body just handles it or is heart rate like is that something that you actually consider I don't um I think some people do my coach is like I mean, I really agree with his philosophies and things like this. And he's kind of a funny combination of being very scientific and very like old school kind of like go by feel feeling when you've been running for this long, like, you know, like you, you know, like there's so many, because heart rate, rate is really important, but it's just one of like the many ways that you can fatigue. And so like, um, that said, like right now I'm, you know, I said like a little bit injured and I'm doing a lot of workouts on the bike. And I'm having to wear a heart rate monitor because I have no sense of how hard I'm going on the bike. And like, <laughs> I'm always sweating. I'm always like working hard. And I look at my heart rate and it's like, oh, it's like 130. Like I should probably pick it up. So um, yeah, I think it's like, has to do a lot with experience. Like, um, yeah, you can kind of tell by looking at someone and things like that. Like I, my GPS watch has one of those wrist heart rate monitors. And it's definitely over a really long run, interesting to look back and compare like, okay, last year I ran the same pace, but the heart rate was a little quicker, a little slower. Um, but you could chop it up to like temperature and being, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I think at the elite level, like you really, you really know, like it's, you know, pretty obvious where you're at, but, uh, but yeah, as a beginner, I think it's a good tool for sure. And for, because it, it's funny, like one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is the difference between strategy or not really the difference, but the, the basically how there's strategy and there's tactics and yeah. they're separate. They're, they're, you know, one's big picture and one's small picture. And when it comes to running a marathon, um, cause that's a long, like, that's just a long time to do anything <laughs> like just, yeah. just to be physically active for, you know, roughly two and a half hours. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. now and it's not like you got a podcast on or you got music you know what I mean it's, yeah. it's, it's just you and you know the people around you because you know the thing with physical activity it is mental too it, yeah. it's not oh, purely yeah. physical it's always connected um but yeah just kind of wondering about yeah that. I totally I mean I yeah I do meditation I find it's helpful like kind of as a training standpoint it's like yeah, the research on how much your brain controls pain is fascinating. Like, there's no doubt that if you, um, I'm someone who thinks a lot, and I think it's really it, it's really good in some aspects of my training. Like, you know, being really aware of what you're doing, I think is is a strength. But it's not a strength in racing. Like in racing, you you need to turn off your mind and just go. So I, I work with a sports psych who's given me lots of tips over the years, and like. I do find it funny because you start talking to them and you realize that like every time you talk to them, it's like going to the doctor for the same thing. You're like, I'm still doing this and like half with your races. And um, so we want to do more of this thinking and you're like, I know, but um, yeah, I find it funny because I, especially when I was in high school, actually even now, but um, 
but in particular, when I first started moving up to the longer distances on the track, I would do spend a lot of time to like, you know, lie down a few days before the race and really visualize it. And there was definitely a correlation between the races that I did that for and the races that I didn't and how I'd perform. It sometimes feel that it felt like a little bit of like a chicken or egg kind of placebo thing. Cause it was like, you know, the races I bothered to do that with were big ones. So, um, you know, and I was probably fit. Like if I'm going to bother doing that, it's probably because I think I can run well. It's if I'm coming off of like an injury or coming off of like taking some time off, I'm not going to bother lying in my bed for an hour visualizing the mediocre performance I'm about to have. Um, but I, I do think it's helpful. Like um, the marathon, I think that um, I want to give away like all my secrets, but I think. Yeah. Yeah. One, no, I, I know. I was thinking that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah definitely. Like, um, generally speaking yeah generally you you have to find this kind of like meditative state where you're like almost um yeah like in the moment and not at the same time like kind of aware of what's around you but still aware of what you're doing and um the funny thing about a marathon is like it's two and a half hours but like it's really not gonna hurt till like half an hour to go so like you stand on the start line and you're like, okay, well, I have like two hours before I have anything to be scared of. Maybe like maybe an hour before it starts getting a bit uncomfortable, but, but that's kind of nice. Um, you don't have to focus for the whole thing, I guess. Point. Yeah. Cause I guess that's kind of like, might be not technically the right word to use, but I guess for the beginning, it may be more of like kind of on that just autopilot. And then yeah. I guess when the pain kind of kicks in, then that's when, okay, we got to. Exactly. Switch, and at that point you're like, you know, an hour and a half committed, you're not going to pack it in then. So <laughs> it's a little bit easier to like dial in. Um, yeah. Opposed to like a 5k where it's like, you know, you've been out there for five minutes and it starts to hurt and you're like, Oh my God, I'm not even halfway. And like, what do I do? And you know, it's kind of more scary that way. So is it one of those things like where, Cause I know like I, I do my best to just like when I, whenever I do any type of training, I try to go no music, no nothing, yeah. like just, you know, breathe, totally. you know, just listen to my breathing, you know, that's kind yeah. of it. Um, yeah. But I mean, obviously like you've been doing this a while, but I'm just kind of wondering like even just doing a, either a marathon or, or one of the shorter ones, like, do you ever have those moments where it's like, Oh, like I gotta like buy milk after this or like, you just <laughs> kind of start going, you know, you, you oh, yeah. that moment where you're gone. I mean, I'm getting like way more public about it. Cause I find it's like interesting. I actually like have ADHD and I find it really interesting because like, um, obviously like, you know, functional have and things under control and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, my, it, it definitely hampers like in long workouts, my ability to focus. And I think it's why it's so important for me to visualize things before, because it's so easy for me to do that. And like, yeah, there's definitely been a few times when my mind's wandered and my coach can even tell. And he's like, what were you thinking about? It's like, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, but, but I'm way more likely to be like distracted by it's, I think it's actually can be a good thing if you've been distracted by something that's like oh, there's like a lovely tree there or like, hey, that's like an interesting river. Like, I think if you are distracted by something like in the moment, I think it can actually be really good. If you're thinking about buying milk um, that evening or the test you have to write, that's pretty bad. I find that like, I'm pretty good. Like I, I find I kind of divide things into like workouts and easy runs. So if I'm out in an easy run. I want my mind to wander. Like you want to be thinking about your to-do list or whatever. But if you're doing a workout, that's when, 
it's important to dial in. And I think like a workout's not going to be more than an hour. Like I think if you think of it that way, it's actually really good. Um, but yeah, I think on the easy ones, it's actually important to be distracted because it's, you know, um, it's a long way to go if you're just thinking about running. And is that something that you just discovered on your own? Or is that something that was just kind of like your coach is like, yeah, you know, like just kind of, yeah, I know. I figured it out when I was doing uh, grad school. So like I was, I did grad school and also tried to run um, competitively. And um, like some things about it were great. Like I, I'm really happy I did that. I think it was a great experience at the time. I don't think I got the most out of myself either professionally or athletically when I was that, you know, pulled in two different directions. But, um, but yeah, given the age and stuff, I'm really, really glad I did that for that time. And I would find that like, you know, I'd be writing a paper and I'd like be hitting my head against the wall. So I'd go for a run and I would almost write it in my head and I'd come back and I'd finish it. I wouldn't do that for workouts, but like, um, but yeah, definitely easy runs. I kind of called it like clock rotation. Of course it went the other way that I'd also be in class, like daydreaming about my races, which wasn't as constructive, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think it's helpful like to, to go out and let your mind wander a bit. And I actually did, I mean, I ran really well in, in some ways in that time, I think because of the distraction, like um, I think it really boils down to like, if it's a positive distraction, like if you're thinking about, you know, the fun night you had with your friend the day before, like your pet or like your goals or something. I think it's really good to be thinking about that when you're training. If you're thinking about the fight you had with your mom while running and it's negative. It's, it's, you really want to avoid that. Yeah. Sorry. I just, I like that. I making my notes here. Um, yeah. Well, and it's funny that you mentioned with the, um, like when you're running and, and you see like a, a nice tree or something that just kind of stands out to you it's kind of funny because people might hear that and actually think that you're taking yourself out of the moment. But I, mm. I think it's probably the opposite because that, that's actually, you're so in the moment and it's not like you, it's not like it lingers or anything. It's just like, Oh, like that's a moment yeah. that you can appreciate. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a really good distinction is um, yeah. Like you can't, it's, it's good to have thoughts come and go in it. But I, I do think if you're honing in on the thoughts that that's a good sign that something's wrong. Um, I was going to say, actually, just remember this when I did one of my marathons in Japan, um, you pick up like bottles, right? Like at every 5k, you get a hydration fueling station and the first half of the race, like you, you're bored. Right. And so like, I would, there was so many little fans along the side, like Japan's really big on road running and the amount of fans who are out there for these races is pretty inspirational. And so I made it this goal for my first like five bottles to try to give them to one of the kids on the side. <laughs> when I was with them and it was so challenging so the Japanese was super organized and the volunteers at the second you drop it the volunteers would like run in and pick them up and I think one of them might have got where I wanted to but I was like trying to like not hit children while still like you know, take little. and um yeah I have no idea if any of them worked out but it was like like things like that I feel like you know it's positive it's fun it was it didn't hurt my race it was really helpful having that for the first you know 20 kilometers to think about yeah, no, it's yeah, it's funny. So efficient, right? I like yeah. <laughs> for the kids, please. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it's okay, you know. I decorated them really nicely. Like they had Canadian flags on them. I was really proud of them, and they had like bunny stickers on them, and they were awesome. So I hope someone got one. <laughs> and with the, I know because I know I kind of keep the the mental. Like I, I have a decent psychology background, and I'm very interested oh, cool. yeah, in, yeah. in all that stuff. So I know that's kind of that, that stuff always piques my interest, but when, 
I don't know, kind of the right, the best way to phrase this, but I'll, I'll just throw it out there and hopefully kind of make something work. But um, sort of at what point in your career did you realize um, that, okay, like the mental side, like I really got to crack down on that. Like, did, yeah. did you kind of have a, a, maybe like a particular race where you thought, oh shit, I got to kind of tune things up a bit or was it just yeah. kind of? I think like, yeah, quite a bit. I've always like, I don't have a psych background, but I've always been really interested in it. And I've always really valued how important it is. And I had a really good high school coach. So the guy who coached me in grade 11 and 12 was actually a Canadian Olympian, former mm -hmm. record holder in, um, in the steeplechase. And one thing I really respect about him is how humble he was. Like he never, I discovered who he was when I was on a recruiting trip and someone was like, oh, Graham Fells is your coach. That's so cool. And I literally was like, how does he know Graham? And then I Googled him and I was like, oh, I see. He's like really <laughs> famous. And, um, and I was in grade 11. I'd only been working with him like a few months at that point. But I just felt like that was the coolest way to figure out who he was. Um, and so, yeah, but he was like really smart or is really smart and has just a lot of, like I, he was definitely a really talented athlete, but I think he also knew how to train. I think it, it got him pretty far. And he would always tell me like, oh, just like sit here and like, visualize your race and like it was so really like right from the get-go it was seen as something you were supposed to do and so I think that was helpful but in university um I didn't have the best relationship with the coach there and since actually left coaching for some things he did that he, he shouldn't have done and so it was a pretty tough time for me like it's easier for me to talk about it now that who he is is kind of up in the open but I, I didn't run great when I was there I wasn't super happy and I would notice that what I felt I could run didn't line up with like how I was running. Like I could just tell when I was finishing races that I hadn't given it my all. And I wanted to, like I was dedicating that time. Like it wasn't like motivation was an issue, but something was missing. Um, and we had a sports psych there who was really sweet, but like the thing with the sports psych is like, it's all about the right fit. Like, you know, the right one for one person isn't the right one for someone else. And then in 2013, I think my husband, um, was running really well and got access to a super just really high up there sports like in Vancouver and she agreed to work with me which was awesome and the second I met her like it was just such a helpful fit and yeah she just I, I saw like immediate benefits and I do think there's a certain point where you learn everything you can and I still check in with her she's still really helpful but um but you do get to a point where you learn all the tips that that you need you know um but yeah, I think I've always kind of respected it, but I've definitely have had like some of my best races where I, I felt like someone just put wings on my shoes. And I feel like a lot of it was mind state, not, you know, anything else. Well, it's that mind body connection, right? You know, yeah. it's, that, it's that real kind of that, just be that, that Zen just kind of in the moment and just kind of, well, and it's funny. Cause like when things go well, like when you were describing the wings you know, on your, your, your first marathon, um, and it's kind of like, it's kind of funny. Cause like beginner's luck, it's like, I don't really know if it's like actual luck per se. It's just more, I guess the excitement and the just kind of, it's an adventure. Like it's something yeah. new. And I feel like, I don't know, I guess there's something in the psyche that kind of gravitates towards that where it's not really luck. It's just more about, you could probably find that flow state. It's just a matter mm -hmm. of how do you get there without that external, because it's not new anymore, right? Yeah, That's you're right. And there's, yeah, a lot of that can limit you. Like the second, especially 
this is less what, what you're saying, but but still, I feel like when you have a, a preconceived notion of how it should go or how it went, um, I think especially, yeah, like if you think the first one went well, it can be really easy to forget all the challenges with it. And then the second one, you're constantly comparing to this state that didn't actually happen. Um, and you can kind of get down on that. So, yeah, and I think that, I mean, the brain is really like powerful and it definitely it regulates how much pain you feel, I think. And so because of that, if you have control of it, like, you know, the same event might be less painful. And typically like, have you read the book Endure by uh, Alex Hutchinson? It's called, uh, well, I'll send you it later. Say that one more time. I want to write it's that. It's called Endure, like endurance, but without the ants at the end. And it's by Alex Hutchinson. And he does a lot of, it's pretty dense. Like it's a good book, but he definitely... He's like a knowledge translator scientist and he definitely shoves a lot of stuff into um, each of his chapters. So it's, a, it's not like a, a flow read, but it's really interesting. He talks a lot about um, mental strength and, and endurance sports and ultra marathons and some of the crazy guys as well. But one point he makes is that no one crosses the finish line of a race and collapses and dies at the end. So we all mm -hmm. obviously had something left over. And not that that is the ultimate goal, but um, but his point being more that that there's always something else there. So how do you tap into that? Yeah, well, it's funny because I know, um, well, since I mentioned him, uh, David Goggins calls it the 40% rule. So when you, when your body, when you think that you've hit the absolute limit of your capabilities, you've only done 40%. You got another yeah. 60. And um one of the craziest ones that I, I always just, whenever I need a little motivation where I'm just like sitting on the couch being lazy and I got to work out, um, my go-to is always the, um, the episode of The Last Dance where uh, Michael Jordan had the, well, the flu game, which turns out to be the, um, he actually got food poisoning, but it was reported back then as he had the flu. And, mm. you know, he was like deathly sick and, going into game five of, the, and it was tied. So kind of a big deal, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, he just found, he just found another gear. Like he just, yeah. you know, found something to get mm -hmm. him through. And then the dude just, you know, Michael Jordan showed up, you know, and just yeah. lit it up and, you know, then the bulls won the game and would win that series. And it's just kind of one of those things, like, especially running because, I know, I think the longest run, which is embarrassing, but I think the longest run I've, I've done is like 40 minutes, 40. Actually, I did one, one hour run. That, nice. that's my, that's my <laughs> that run. That was the big mark. <laughs> that was my big one. And yeah. I always have the problem of like, then when I check my heart rate after, you know, it was literally like maxed out for the entire time. Cause I have a tendency to just go. Yeah. That which yeah. is not great. Um, but seriously, when, when like running pain, and for someone who, who does a lot of it, um, I'll put the question to you. Like, I know for me, the pain is like, it's like your organs feel like they're going to fly out your <laughs> chest. Like it's particularly I think, uncomfortable. I feel like it's kind of what you get used to. Like I push up pain. Okay. So I have been trying to do push ups Cause again, I'm injured and I'm like, I'm just going to do, do, I can't something. do a push up. Like the, 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 the pain feeling I get from trying to do a push up is it's not natural. And I'm like, I can't, I can't push through this running pain. I'm like, so used to, um, I, yeah, I really think it's what your body gets to that said when I, so when I take time off and come back to running, um, I'm like blown away by how awful it feels. 
because um, it does use every muscle. It's a very like, like it's a lot of bang for your buck if you want to get fit. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of pounding and stuff. And but I do think if you like, I mean, I'm like a, a natural distance runner, so I'll I'll go too slow. That's more often my problem is like, you know, kind of getting a groove, and it's like, you know, I could run it forever, but I'm probably not getting fit or doing it. Um, but if you find that right zone, like, you know, humans are really meant to run like if you're not hurt otherwise or whatever like it's pretty cool how we've evolved to do it and if you do find the right pace it's it is a pretty neat feeling that you can just like it doesn't hurt and you can go forever you know it's like speed walking or something so well, go with slower. that might help <laughs> well and it's funny because i mean um, the last time i went to greece is kind of when i got a little bit of the education but i mean marathons are just running I mean, if you think about just running long distance or, or even just kind of, if you just want to say traveling long distances by foot, I mean, that's how we moved up until mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of a couple hundred years ago, you know, really. Well, even if you like think of, so, um, I mean, obviously husky dogs can go a long way running, you know, up, up north and stuff, but even a dog, the way they, every time they land, they're like galloping, they put their front legs down and the diaphragm gets pushed up humans on the other hand we run upright so we can like we're just so even like our feet like again because it's actually my foot that's injured I've been spending a lot of time looking at feet but the number of bones and ligaments and tendons and how they all work together like they're tiny and yet they can support us and spring us it's um you know like I have a cat who's she's really fast like she can run up the stairs and like sprint around the house screaming for like five minutes and then she sleeps the rest of the day um and like but even like if I watch her jump like it is insane how high she can jump like relative to how big she is she can just like she could leap onto my back off the floor um if I could do that I could jump up to the my roof and not you know think twice but it just goes to show you how she's evolved to do such different things than what I have um there's no way she could run a marathon like yeah no matter what despite her superpowers. Mm-hmm. Well, even last night, like I was watching, you know, you, you, you got to try and fall asleep. So my go-to is always like some nature, you know, Netflix got a billion of those, right? So put one of those. Yeah. And it just blows my mind. Like when, like I was thinking about just the, the uh, big, like cats and predatory cats mm-hmm. in particular, they're just so, so awe-inspiring. Like just as when humans look at them, we're like, geez, like these things are just freaks. Like they're just crazy. Yeah. And it's funny because even them, like they're like a cheetah in particular, like that ability to hit that top speed, but, but it doesn't last for long. Like that's the funny thing. Like it's a very, so, you know, in order to catch that prey, it's gotta be be smart too. It it knows that its physical capabilities are quite limited, relatively speaking. So that's why the, the whole tactic of, okay, I gotta be sure I can sneak up on it, corner it, and then that's when I get the assault and then hopefully it works out. Like crazy thing too, they, they don't really sleep. Like the, they sleep all day because they're not doing the same type of sleep that we are. Like if you ever like open your cat, like your cat's deep in a coma on the couch sleeping and you open the fridge, they're up. Like yeah. they weren't sleeping. And I think it's the same way they hunt. Like apparently they sleep all the time because they're actually always waiting for prey or whatever. But I mean, I'm sure you know this too, but the way that the humans evolved to hunt was the opposite like we evolved to in hot weather especially um just hunt them down until they got exhausted like you know kind of just a little bit like you know chase another sprint stop sprints obviously you didn't go after cheetahs but you know other <laughs> game like antelope and stuff and 
um, yeah, I mean, I, I just really think that, yeah, humans are made to run. It's a pretty cool feeling when you're out there. I know this is quite a segue, but since we're talking about sleep, we're kind of, <laughs> I'm notoriously bad with sleeping. And I had a concussion when I was um, 16, I guess, grade 11. Um, mm. And since then, my sleep has just never been the same, um, which Crazy. is probably- Was it like a bad one, I'm guessing? Like Yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah, the, the concussion yeah. was pretty, I've been lucky. It's the only one I've really ever had. I've had some small ones, but, you know. Whatever. Yeah, but the, yeah, I actually one, had one. Yeah, I had a not, I don't think it was as bad as what you described, but I had one probably like same year given our age gap. And it, there wasn't a lot of research back then on, on how serious they were. When I look back at my marks the following year at university, I'm like, oh, I kind of wish that I got diagnosed because I think that might have been a factor. But um, yeah, anyways, they, they mess with you. Well, and, and it's funny because I think that year or within, I think within the year that uh, I got, <laughs> cracked in the head um playing hockey um that's when Sidney Crosby um during the winter classic uh that's when he got that total cheap shot uh real bad elbow to the head and then that's when that's kind okay. of when all the research about concussions that's when it really started because that's right. you know the best hockey player deal. in the world got you know yeah. beat up and pretty bad it affected him. yeah yeah so it was kind of interesting um as far as the research goes but at that time but for you, um, I'm not really sure. I guess I got a couple questions I in here, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. is because I imagine with running, I mean, rest and recovery is got to be particularly critical. Yeah. Um, and sleep is kind of the, the yeah. main one for that. Yeah. So yeah, I'll just yeah. I've been actually doing. It's funny you mention it because I've actually been doing a lot of work on it this past year. Like <laughs> I think during COVID, I've been doing yeah a lot of like researching things instead of actually running because there's no bases um but yeah one of, one of the things was um was sleep and the reason I've looked into it and definitely research I've been doing is there's no doubt there's night owls and morning people and I'm a total night owl like I could stay up till two in the morning and no problem and that's actually been great because a lot of the bases that I do on the track like track races are always in the evening um oh, and so the, the tent is just for the temperature like not all oh you know, yeah it'd be kind of weird to have a track race not in the evening like unless it's like um like the olympics and it's like heats and finals maybe the heats will be in the morning but it's pretty rare to have a 5k or 10k in the morning they're normally the last meet uh last race in any meet <laughs> and again it's often to avoid the heat and it's partly to avoid the heat and also like the shorter events would not want to run in the cold and distance runners don't really mind Right, and right. you know 100 meters and stuff are kind of the exciting ones so mm -hmm. anyone who's like keen to watch a 5k is fine to stay up late I feel like in general so you're kind of pretty committed at that point <laughs> um but like some 10k I've done 10ks studying at like 11 30 at night there's like one meet in the U.S. that holy like, cow oh that's super really late. yeah it's like it's one in particular they do a really it's only distance races and they have a lot of them and they don't start till the sun sets so you know they, they go on for a while, but, uh, but yeah, and that's never been a problem for me. Like it's actually been great. And, you know, sometimes I have to wake up and do a morning run and then an afternoon workout and it's all good. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely a night owl. And so the marathon is the opposite and that's, you know, without question being a challenge for me is like, um, and it's like the more I read about it, like it's like a lot of it has to do with how your mel melatonin is released and stuff. And you can't really fight your biology that much. So I actually started working a little bit with a sleep doctor this summer just 
used a few phone consults and got some suggestions and um yeah a lot of it is like implementation is another challenge but but yeah it's really it's really important to like take that stuff seriously and one thing that he kind of taught me um is not to fight your natural biology too much so if you need to be awake three days um like for me going to bed before 10 is just not ever going to happen and he really convinced me that that was the case and there's nothing I can do to change that so I need nine hours of sleep every night so if I have to wake up at six um you know go to bed at 11 like if I get into bed before 11 and turn up my lights before 11 I don't sleep well so you know but get it solid 11 like don't don't go to bed at midnight like you know you have to set your clock for something you can do like 11 and be diligent about it. And then those days when you wake up at six, have a nap and and kind of try to bank your sleep. And then the other days go, you know, 11 to eight as you'd like. So I think that's something I've done a decent job in with COVID is trying to be really diligent about that. And I've just been blown away how if you go to bed at the same time every night, like they say you should, you actually sleep really well. It's when you try to like go outside of that, that it gets challenging. That's actually fairly reasonable though. Like I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised. I thought it would be a lot more like, no, like I got to sleep more. Like, but that's actually, that's, that's fairly Is reasonable. Nine hours you mean or the? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's to be, but you're, perf- you're also performing it at a yeah. <laughs> level. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's yeah. I mean, it kind of makes sense actually, but. I find like, like everyone's different. Like I know the guy kind of took a look at how much I was sleeping and he's like, if you weren't an athlete, you'd probably be seven to eight as an athlete, you're probably eight to nine, but it's funny I say this and like when you take a sleep log like it's amazing how much less you sleep like you know I should get nine hours a night I barely get more than eight right. and like I find you kind of like go on the cycle where you're like progressively more tired and then you just sleep for like 12 hours and make it up which is not what you're supposed to do but um but yeah I think it's great there's a lot more research now and like understanding of how important sleep is and um it is something I took really seriously this summer especially one of um, my, my favorite UFC fighter uh, was a Canadian guy, uh, GSP. I don't know if you're familiar with the fight game <laughs> at all, but um, he was, he's, I, I don't know. I think he's probably the, the, he's definitely arguably one of the best of all time. And he would say that the night before a fight, um, he literally would not sleep one second. Now, yeah. keeping in mind, he was also, you know, probably the most, he's a ridiculous athlete. And he's also OCD. So he's a little out there, um, super interesting guy, but you know, yeah. so he's a little, you know, but fighters are all crazy anyway. I mean, to, to yeah. do that for a living, you gotta be a little crazy. Um, but for you, like the night before a race, is it difficult for you to kind of calm yourself down or even the, the day of the race? Is it? It really mixes. Like it's not, um, typically no, actually like when I was in high school and stuff, yes. But, um, yeah, I totally agree with the fighter guy that the night before sleep doesn't matter. Like it, you know, especially if it's a morning race, like it, it truly doesn't matter. So I find that it would never happen to me in an evening race because like, you know, like I'm not stressed to wake up in the morning. So it's not mm-hmm. a big deal. And I know I can sleep in. Um, I think sleep does matter quite a bit more for evening races because if you're not racing till like 10 at night and you pull down that night the night before, that's going to be a really big deal. Whereas if you don't sleep great, the night before morning race you probably slept three hours and that's going to get you through the event um that said sleep really really matters if you're not well rested going in so that's kind of the biggest thing and again actually especially in grad school I was 
like so sleep deprived and I was doing grad school and running. I was probably six hours a night, like until I crashed. And then, you know, it was very challenging, but the night of a week of a race that I was trying to bank it. And so I would literally take my like journal and write like bed at this time, wake up at this time. And I'd make sure to average nine hours of sleep every night of the week going into the race. So I was averaging that much. And if you've done that, like, I mean, probably that was too extreme, but like, but I know for me now, if you make sure that you banked your sleep before race, you're not really stressed the night before because it doesn't matter. And then the fact it doesn't matter means that you actually sleep great. Right. So yeah. kind of works out. <laughs> yeah, it's, that, it's that circular thing, right? Yeah. 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 I actually had one, the one race I did this year, I slept terribly the night before going in. I was just really stressed about it and it had sick and there'd been a bunch of things. And it's the first race in years that I was like awake every hour. And the longer that happens, the more stressed you get and the worse it gets. Yeah, I know. Uh, like, actually, I think, uh, yeah, last night, I think la- I actually slept eight hours and I was like, holy crap, that's I awesome. I was like, man, that <laughs> never happened. So I'm, yeah. I'm very, um, but you know, it's funny because like kind of the same thing as you like books, right? Like stacks of books. So I'm, I'm in the, pro- I'm burning through a, a breathing book. Um, Oh, what's it called? It's 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 called Breathe. My physio wants me to read that one, but it was like thirty five dollars. Yeah, it's expensive. It's it's like a text. Really good though, right? I've heard it's it really too. interesting. So I, I'm yeah. only uh, I'm on the third chapter, so I just just cracked it open. Um, right. And the other one, what's the other one I'm reading? Uh, Sleep Smarter by I can't remember who who um, wrote Breathe, um, but that's new, and yeah. uh, Sean Stevenson, pretty sure. Okay. Um, yeah. I think, and I think it's Sean with a W instead of a U, I think, um, but more or less. Um, but you know, it's funny because with, with that, it really is just self-discipline. Um, I mean, you mentioned earlier, like meditating or just breathing, like just, you know, just laying in bed and just, okay, you know, let me just kind of breathe and just kind of calm myself down and that type yeah. of stuff. But yeah, as far as getting proper sleep, it, it really is just being a little bit self-disciplined it, it doesn't yeah. take a lot of work because I'm definitely a, a night owl um, yeah but I have this thing with sleep like all my friends always make fun of me because they're like I don't like to sleep I got this mm-hmm. weird, I love know? sleep once I'm sleeping I hate going to sleep right yeah 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 like sleep at 7am sleep is the best thing in the world but like 10pm it's like not happening yeah exactly but it's just funny it's just one of those things like j- just as an athlete like like yourself, who, who's at that elite level, it is funny just when you kind of, cause you know, all these things kind of come together to make a cocktail for your performance. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you, know, be, you know, be sure that you're recovering and proper nutrition, you're not boozing it up every night, you know, like just kind of yeah. just regular self-discipline stuff. It's just funny how, you know, if you're dedicated, one of the most under regretted one, under, sorry, underutilized ones, I think, actually, I think it's pretty much the accepted fact, like most athletes, whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, have no trouble like cutting out certain food groups, which isn't actually a good thing for health reasons, but still like it's not tough for an athlete to be like, I'm not gonna drink for a week or like I'm not gonna eat chocolate. Um some athletes find that easier than others, but um but yeah, the um uh the sleeping one is like one of those ones that people don't even think about. Like it's kind of like, oh yeah, you should get enough sleep, but it's not really like and it has really negative implications on your performance and I think as a society too like I don't think it's it's valued enough like luckily if you're a full-time athlete you have the daytime flexibility to to do that you know but uh 
but yeah, I think as a society, this thought that we can all function off six hours of sleep as like normal humans. And that's not, you know, some people that's the case, but the majority of people need more sleep than that. Yeah. Cause that's my problem. I'm, I'm a four or five, six hour a night guy. Yeah. Uh, that catches up to you. Yeah. yeah. I find it's like this point of no return is what I call it. If I, if I'm in bed by 1130, it's fine. But if I'm up past 1130, I'm up till two. Like there's no, <laughs> there's no in between there. <laughs> Cause you get too tired to realize that you're tired and then it's over. Well, and, and, you know, and the thing with sleep too, is that again, it's, I mean, it's a growing field and a growing uh, field of research, but I mean, well, like if you're going to take a test, like if you're going to take an exam, mm-hmm. well, you wouldn't think, oh, my body's tired. You would think, well, my, my brain didn't get, like, I'm just not well rested. So my focus isn't quite there, but I think the same thing applies to the physical side, which is that, again, it's not so much that you're body isn't recovered but it's the fact that your head's what keeps you in it that you yeah. know, that that's the thing like your body will do what your body will do you can yeah. you can will it to do ridiculous things but it starts you know it's top down yeah well another thing actually you've heard a sports physiologist a few of them going to a lot is that when you sleep growth hormones are released obviously taking growth hormone is banned and you should never do it but this guy is like like you know there's this banned substance that you could all get if you just slept so like why don't you sleep um for recovery like if you go do a hard workout and then don't sleep you're not going to get much benefit from that workout like the sleep is as important as the workout itself and i'm kind of jumping around a little bit here but one of the things i I, with the marathon race because you mentioned that the typically kind of more in the evening um, morning for the marathons that's right yeah so that would be so a marathon because it's like two and a half hours when did a marathon generally start then Depends. Again, they can start as early as like 7 a.m., which is brutal. And so like yeah, that is brutal. EMI and you can cut this out <laughs> if you don't want this on here. But like, I, I mean, from a GI standpoint, that's the other problem. Like you have to be awake. At, you have to be running at seven and done everything GI wise for the day. And so like, that's actually really, that's one of the biggest challenges. And so a lot of it comes down to like getting your circadian rhythms on track. So like you need to get used to, I mean, 7 a.m. is worst case scenario, like eight is probably ideal and more often, but I don't think a marathon race would ever start after 8.30. So like, it's still going to be early. And um, so if the race was at eight, they say you should be up three hours before. If you want to eat, get moving. So you should wake up at five. Which now, if you go, <laughs> yeah, and then if you go to like Ontario, that's like two in the morning for here. So it can like pretty quickly get, that's one of the reasons I loved racing in Japan, actually, is that coming from Vancouver, like, I think they really respect road running. So the road races are a little bit, um, like a little bit later. I think my marathon might've been 8.30. And with the time zone change, that was about four o'clock in the afternoon here, give or take. But like, the point is that like your circadian rhythms, like, you know, it takes a week to readapt to a, that type of time zone change. And you didn't actually have to because either way you'd be awake. Whereas it, when you race in Europe, it's it's really challenging because you are trying to race at like 3 a.m. or 2 a.m. or something. And it's, you don't really know, do I like skip a night and make up for this? So like, how do I like get on the right time zone? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of, so w- when you travel, because I guess there's probably not very many, like pre-COVID, um, there's probably not very many um, races in on the West Coast, I'm assuming. 
No, it's funny enough, we actually have a lot of track races here um, in California. The California seems to be really good for hosting um, elite distance running. Again, it's largely weather. Like, you know, in the summer, you're not going to want to go to like Tennessee and do a 10K on the track. Yeah. doesn't matter the sun's up or down, it's going to be humid. Um, and yeah, so, and the whole West Coast just has a real like distance running scene. Um, possibly because of the mountains, though, it seems like a lot of the best road races are out east. Like Vancouver, the Vancouver Marathon is a great event, but it's not a fast course. Um, so it's really good if you're like local and you want to do a marathon, but you're not going to go try to run an Olympic standard there. And so you do often have to like end up traveling. But I mean, funny enough, when they, you kind of have the upper hand as a West Coast athlete for the evening track races. For like, Why is that? Know, well, if you're like, you know, if your competitors in Ontario and they're having to run at 2.30 and you're running at 11.30, you know. Right. Even for a night owl, 2.30 is pretty tough. And when you do have to travel um, outside a time zone, so if there's a significant change, um, how long, so if you're competing, because you said that, okay, it takes about a week for your circadian room to naturally adjust, but for yeah. a race, you know, there's other factors involved with travel and whatnot. Would, would you show up to, so if it's um, like Japan or maybe somewhere in Europe where there's a pretty big change, um, would you be there like a week before? Ideally, yeah, if you can. Um, again, Japan, like I really didn't. Um, you want? I'm, I'm actually a really nervous flyer, which again has not been an issue in COVID. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, um, I really don't like flying, and um, yeah. So like for me, like a flight is actually quite exhausting. So I like to give a lot of time for the flight alone, even without the time zone change, because um, like Medicaid or drink or something and I'll need to like recover when I land but um but yeah aside from that like if you go to Europe it's it's worse like I think if I were to do a marathon in Europe you kind of you might you want to be there on Monday or the races on Sunday like ideally um it just gives you time to get over the travel and and me adapt going to Japan it wasn't so bad like I think I would often land on like Wednesday and race on Sunday and even like when that happened I would always feel like I think I would have been okay if I had one last day but it's better to feel that way than the opposite. So, and, um, when it comes to, so when you, when you're traveling and you show up somewhere, um, do you, does, does your body like, do you, do you adjust to jet lag pretty quick? Like, do you kind of get it together? Is it a bit tough for you to adjust? I'm pretty good. I find, I kind of say I'm like gullible. Like I just kind of, like, I mean, you go outside, like you just make sure you go outside in the morning, make sure you go outside in the evening and go for a walk and, um, yeah, I find if you just reset your watch, eat when you're supposed to, sleep when you're supposed to. Um, I really like not sleeping on the airplane, both because I mm. am scared of flying and probably won't. But secondly, I feel like if you can just completely, like if you, when you land, if you're so exhausted that all you want to do is sleep, it's like a reset button for your body. And I've, I've, I find when I come home, it's worse because like I find, think when I go there, I'm so dialed in on the race. I'm so adamant about the details. Was I come home and I just try to jump into my, routine again and it tends to take me like longer to recover does that make sense yeah and and just generally speaking because i don't want you to be giving too much stuff away <laughs> um, but like the week of a race um well i guess what kind of maybe just more generally than that just tapering um the the training how much training would you do or i guess not really training but how much running will you be doing the week of the race is it pretty casual like just kind of get your legs moving it's a, a little lot bit? less like again, it's where you kind of like 
just rely on your coach. Like, you know, you kind of see the training and like, okay, that's what I'm doing. Especially with a marathon, it, you drop down a lot and it can be really like, it's weird. Like you go from running like a hundred miles a week to like 50 and you're like, not that extreme, but like, I think there's like, you could Google it. There's a lot of like rule of thumbs, but I think <laughs> at least 25%, you know, which is going to feel like a lot. And, um, and there's a lot of debate about a taper and like, I, I actually find I respond better to less taper and some athletes need a lot. And so that's a lot of it, like knowing your body and what's individual, but, um, but yeah, you kind of go crazy and it's like tough to like, like you want to find that you also don't always feel good. Like that, that can really mess with you. Like sometimes when you taper, you actually like, when you've been training really hard and you have this idea that you'll start to drop your running volume and you're just going to feel amazing. And then you don't. And it's like, it kind of, yeah, it's really normal, but it can freak you out. I think you get so used to being fatigued that when you're not fatigued, you actually feel sluggish. Well, and it's funny because like, it's, it's a bit of a bit of a paradox because on the one hand, as an athlete, you, you, you're pretty in tune with your body and, and you listen to your body, but sometimes it can kind of mess with you a little bit where, you know, like even um, like, well, actually even today, like I actually felt pretty, whoopsies, I actually <laughs> felt pretty good. Um, and then I did the workout and I only laughed, like I had to quit the workout because I was getting like lightheaded and you know, but like you walk in feeling good and then, you know, you kind of push it and then I don't know, then maybe you don't feel so great, but you know, then tomorrow I'm like, well, since you quit the workout, guess what? It's happening tomorrow. You know, I'm going to, yeah. you're going to get the shit kicked out of you tomorrow. Is this going <laughs> to happen? So it's kind of funny, like on the one hand, how, you know, you do have to be listening to your body and paying attention to that, but then sometimes it can kind of bullshit you a bit. So it's just kind of, yeah. and in those situations, do you just kind of rely, like, because I mean, you've been doing this a long time at a very elite level. So, I mean, I guess it's kind of more, more routine, I guess. Yeah. But is yeah, it just you, one of those have... you just kind of trust, you just kind of let go a little bit and just go with the flow. Especially having a coach. I think that that really is helpful. Like, um, you know, they kind of tell you what to do right, right now. Um, yeah. I'm kind of doing my own thing a bit more because I've been injured. So I'm kind of designing my own bike workouts and stuff. And like, it's exactly what you say. Like you have one day where like, oh, this isn't the best day. And it's, it just goes to show how helpful a coach is for motivation. Like, um, yeah, kind of, they give you what you're supposed to do and, and you go with it. And I mean, if you have a good relationship with your coach, especially they'll like, I've had a few workouts that it went really south and my coach just like went to my log and just completely changed it based on what he saw. Um, and that's really helpful. Cause like, you know, someone, you can kind of go in like, you know, bowl in a china shop and be like, this is my training plan. This is what I'm doing this week. And that's it. And sometimes it's not what you should be doing. And other times, yeah, like the work is just going to suck and you have to suck it up. So I, I do find that that's where like a second set of eyes can be really helpful to like tell you what you're doing. So it's really tough to make those decisions for yourself. Well, and, and you're too, um, you're in it. And you're biased, you know, one thing I always say which I think is like quite accurate is the symptoms of being out of shape are the same as the symptoms as being overtrained. Yeah. And, yeah. and the response, like what you should do is really different. And that's, I think that's like 90%, not 90%, it's one part of what a coach does, but it's a really important piece. Well, and, and that's just it because when you're, because all you know is what you know, what you're yeah. feeling, what you're experiencing. And then having that, and, and obviously like you've mentioned a few times, which I think is, super critical is that you really do have to trust 
you know, the, the coach or coaches or doctors, like whoever you're whatever team, telling you, you know, yeah. you, you really do have to have that kind of like, you really do have to believe that they, well, and, and there's the rapport that, that they have your best interest at heart and that they're doing everything, everything they can to make you um, perform at your best, you know, totally. so that's definitely critical for that. Um, but yeah, it's just funny. Like it, it's, yeah. Cause that's a really important distinction. Like, yeah, not like under training and over training. Like the exact same. Yeah. But yeah. totally then, What you have to do is the complete opposite. Cause yeah, yeah if you stop training, cause you think you're overtrained, it's not going to go well and vice versa. And I was wondering, um, probably a stupid question. Um, but as far as for, cause I guess for the marathons, um, your weight, is that something like, do you do, like, do you guys do weight cuts or is it something where not you're really, kinda... yeah, it's like, it's a really, it's also not super interesting because it's obviously very important. Um, but it's important both ways. Like when you look at the start line of an elite marathon race, everyone looks super lean, mm-hmm. but the athletes who got there healthily and who are going to be in it for a long time got to that weight because their coach designed a good program and they ate smart. Like I, you know, sometimes I get asked like, Oh, do you like worry a lot about nutrition? And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I don't like, but then you think about it. Like I wouldn't go to McDonald's and have dinner. Like every meal I have is healthy, but, um, but it's really important, especially when training for a marathon to not restrict calories. Like you literally can't eat enough. Like if you were going to McDonald's and having three Big Macs, three meals a day, you'd probably be messing up. But if you're having healthy meals, um, you're probably not eating enough. Like you probably have to have healthy meals and cookies because you physically can't eat enough calories of healthy food. And so um, the other place that plays into it is like, you know, you start it when you're in high school and you do more and more volume and it's pretty crazy how your body like, it just learns what weight it should do. And if you have a well-designed program and the coach is putting speed in at the right points, like your body will just get to its right weight. Like it, you know, don't um, cut things out that you shouldn't don't like eat cookies like all the time and call it dinner. But if you are like, you've been smart and, um, and listening to the cues, like one big cue I go off of is if I'm waking up in the middle of the night hungry, I know I didn't eat enough. And that can happen when you train for a marathon. And that's like a really big red flag that something's wrong. Um, obviously like everyone has a weight that they're aware of, but kind of like running paces on the track. Like when you're fit, you don't need to step on the scale to know that mm-hmm. you're the right, like you just are, like, you know it. And, um, if you, the, the funny thing is like, I ran my slowest times of my life like since being an elite athlete and my fastest times at the same weight, like it's just one of the pieces that play into it. Um, kind of like the overtraining, undertraining thing, but, um, but all I said is really important in your off season. And as you're coming back to gain weight, like I find that's, if you want your body to get lean at the right times, it has to trust you that the famine will end. So it's, that's where it's so important to make sure that you, you know, put on some pounds between seasons and, um, and then kind of let them come off over the course of months without thinking about it. One of uh, totally off topic, but kind of related. Um, I recently got into uh, Formula One. Um, so I'm a real fan of Formula One racing <laughs> now. And it's kind of funny because people, like if I say it to anyone, they're like, oh, like it's all the same. Cause like there's the, they go to different countries and they have the tracks and whatever. It's like, oh, you know, it's kind of the same thing. And it's like, no, 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 it's not NASCAR you're just racing around a donut for God knows how long, like formula one, like every race, the actual layout 
is quite different and has a pretty significant effect on the way that you drive and and the pace and tire like it's it's very technical for marathons um that well i guess a couple things do the tracks change from so like will the tokyo one or the i guess the japan if it's in tokyo but the japan um the japan one will that track always be the same or does it change and then the the second question would be um, how much of an effect does it have from like marathon to marathon? Yeah, really big effect for sure. Like, you know, people will select the marathon based on the course. Um, yeah. And so like, like the Berlin one, the first time I did it is fast. Like it's, it's flat. And even things like the type of cement they use is like the surface is like the right surface. You don't want cobblestones, which can actually happen. And like cement, like they have in Houston can be quite tough on your body. This is more like an asphalt and it's, like, I don't know if you've been to Berlin, but there's not a single hill in it. Like it's insane. Oh, really? Oh. And like, but that can cause different challenges because you're using the same muscles. So the second race I did um, was in Nagoya, Japan, and there was actually a few hills. And so I did a lot more hill training in my, in my training for it. And it was actually pretty awesome because my coach had like, he told me like there's one really big hill and it was, it was a decent hill, but it was a, and it was at a challenging point. I mean, but he said like this hill is just at a really bad point in the race. Like I think it was at like 30-ish K. So kind of right when it's starting to suck at the best of times and you have a hill. But um, you would know this because you're from Vancouver. He compared the hill to Pipeline Hill. Okay, yeah. Like, that's, which is, yeah. it's a big hill. It's decent, at 30K yeah. into a marathon. And so I had this idea <laughs> of this like massive hill and just like, it was bad, but it was like half a pipeline. Like it wasn't, it wasn't pipeline. And so- yeah, that was like really nice because I kind of got to top and I had this fixation on it. Like this was the hill, this was where it's going to suffer. And it kind of broke up the race because it was like pre-hill, post-hill. Mm-hmm. Um, opposed to Berlin where it was just like all fast. So um, yeah, and then as far as like courses go, they typically keep them the same if they can. Like every once in a while, they'll change it. But I think both from a logistics standpoint, um, obviously putting on a marathon takes a lot of time and planning and making sure everything's the right length and that the city can function, you know, being shut down for five hours and stuff. So it's tough to change a marathon course. And then you kind of get like an iconic feeling. I think the Tokyo marathon might've changed recently. Like, I don't know why I, but yeah, like when they change, it's a big deal, despite me not knowing which races <laughs> changed, but, but like the Boston marathon is a good example of one that will probably never change. It's just iconic. Mm-hmm. And with, um, so I, I, I'm not really too sure, but I guess Vancouver, like altitude wise, we're kind of like moderate, I guess, maybe kind of low to moderate. I'm not really sure. Just, we got a lot of hills like here. A, yeah. Like from an air standpoint or just a hill Yeah, standpoint? like actual altitude is probably oh, yeah, not. No, like, it, no, not, it's a mile without question will affect you. 800, like Edmonton and Calgary, people will debate as to whether or not it affects you. It does affect you, but um yeah, not here. Here, there's, I guess, probably the top of the ghost grind, maybe. Right, yeah. Yeah, but, but otherwise, no. But yeah, my, my question with that is, um, so, like, let's just say, because, I mean, uh, you know, bring up MMA again, because I know, like, some particular uh, training camps, just where they're located, um, I think the Mexico City, uh, w- when they have the UFC down there, um, it's like one of the highest, uh, like altitude for any UFC event, 
which right. is a huge, huge, huge factor on, especially when the heavyweights fight on yeah. their, their conditioning. And I was just wondering for, for you training um, for a marathon, um, would it be beneficial, like if you could just travel, like, you know, money, I know totally. it's difficult, but if you could train at a super high altitude and just do your normal training, would that have a, a benefit to then Absolutely, yeah. running the marathon? Yeah, I know a lot of people that actually, I haven't raced since doing it, but in 2020 and 2019, I went up to altitude. Um, so it's really helpful. The expression is a different style of training. And again, I never really got to test it out because I didn't get to race, but, um, but I have done it twice before. And both times where that was interesting is when I first came back, um, for the track stuff, my performance actually suffered, but I felt like I had a really nice long season. So there's a lot of adaptations you get from going to altitude and the most obvious one is hemoglobin. Mm-hmm. Um, but even at a cellular level, um, I think you get like better just oxygen delivery. So even the amount of capillaries in your muscles can change. You can't really test it without taking a muscle biopsy, which no elite athlete is going to dedicate <laughs> too much of their life to doing that and then ruining it with a biopsy. So it's like, they can do some, obviously you can test your blood before and after and see how you responded, but that's just one of the things just because that didn't improve doesn't mean else didn't work for you. Um, there are some downsides, which is mostly that like, it's way more exhausting. Like it's like your caloric demands get really high. If something goes wrong, like if you get injured, you're much more likely to, you're away from home and family and stuff. And that can cause psychological challenges and he's talking about sleep it's tougher to sleep at altitude so the training when you go up there is it is different like you have to be much more cognizant to recover and eat more and and hydrate more and do all these different things and the other big piece of your seminar doesn't keep muscle easily you can you don't think it's a lot tougher to train for speed events there because you don't have the same wind resistance and you're also gasping for air all the time so you can't really do the same speed so a lot of the times people will go somewhere high and then drive down to sea level with workouts. So kind of this live high, train low approach. Um, so you do all your easy runs up there, a few long sessions, but if you want to do something that race pace, you go down to sea level. So yeah. one of the best places in the world is actually Flagstaff, Arizona. is really good because they have, um, in an hour, you can get down to like Calgary height. Wow. So it's a nice like, it's like a straight downhill drive, but, um, but you can Sedona and like Sedona is about the same height as Calgary. And then Flagstaff is, I should know this, but it's high, like it's high enough to make a difference. It's like 7,000 feet, I think. And so, yeah. And so like you can, you can jump between the two and get, you know, get some good quality workouts in and then sleep at altitude and, you know, do that. It's crazy, like how much, like when you start breaking down, like kind of each chunk, like you go even just throwing like kind of, I guess altitude is kind of like a specialty thing, but if you consider altitude, sleep, nutrition, like you start, man, like it gets like, it's a full-time job, even though it's just running. Yeah. You're like, you're your own science experiment, which is why it's kind of fun. And it's kind of, it must be fun too, because then you can kind of, well, with, I mean, as, as time, well, hopefully as time kind of keeps going, that's where we kind of, hopefully you start learning more, um, yeah. you know, and, and the, the research, the literature kind of gets deeper, not thinner. Um, but it must be kind of fun too, just to kind of see like, 
well, actually, I'll just pose it to you as a question. How much has your, um, I don't want to say training, we'll just kind of keep it more general, but just kind of taking everything into consideration, like nutrition, sleep, actual training itself. How much has that changed from, you know, your high school days to now? Like, is it conceptually speaking? Yeah. Um, as you said, my mom is a dietitian. Um, oh, there you she go. <laughs> doesn't like practice, but she, she took it before she had me and then worked for a few years. And, uh, so I feel like really fortunate because I think I just grew up with really good, just nutrition knowledge and things that I don't even have to think about now. Um, and so I think actually my philosophies have stayed really similar. Like I've definitely, you know, had different coaches and met different physios on the way who've given me like tips, but I, I think like, I really actually think the high school years are super important on just your first years in the sport and just forming kind of, it almost comes down to values. Like, you know, will you risk energy deficiency and losing your period for two years to run fast? Like you kind of know that about yourself when you're pretty young, like those types of questions and philosophies and um, yeah, definitely cooking style nutrition, like, you know, treating food as fuel versus food as calories and evil, like, you know, you kind of learn those things pretty young. Um, my current coach and the coach I had before him both had great philosophies in terms of um, rest and like my coach before was really good about teaching me the importance of rest. Um, like about her take, I took a few things away from him, but I think that was a really important one. And also strength training. Like those are kind of two things I learned from him. My current coach has a really nice way of looking at distance running. It's really tough to like, articulate what he does but he just he really gets it like he just even like when I look back at COVID like I remember when the pandemic first started really stressing out about like what race I should do like this was like all that mattered like what am I gonna do and he was just like the Olympics are gonna be postponed like why are you so stressed and I was like no they're not and like he was totally right like he just has really good instincts and um that's something that's tough to learn but it's um just the way he looks at races and kind of teaches you like what just mental state you should be in before races. Um, yeah, he, he said a few things to me even before I worked with him uh, when I moved up to the 5K that just really made it click. Like the way he described the race, it was like, okay, that makes sense. Um, but even so, I still credit my high school coach like to a lot of, um, like he had just some really good tips. One thing that he said that I still use is that you should do all your off day runs as fast as you can while still recovering for the next day. And it was like a really good philosophy. Like he wasn't saying hammer your runs. He was just saying like, if you feel good, push it. If you don't feel good, don't. But but a lot of people get really fixated on like, yeah, things like heart rate and things like running pace and stuff. And he just didn't, like he didn't let us go there. Sorry, just making my notes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I like that, yeah. Well, and, and with um, kind of related to what you're just saying, but um, it's kind of interesting because for, um, kind of like your Sunday, uh, runner, you know, just kind of the casual person, this, this isn't really an issue, but for athletes, you know, and even just a semi-pro to the, the elite level, um, having that, um, work-life balance, um, because your work is also your passion too mm -hmm. so, and, and, and in a very directly physical way obviously um 
is that something that has been kind of difficult? Um, especially, you know, cause now with COVID, you know, yeah. um, that's kind of a big deal because you know, your, your life is running and then not being able to do that. Um, has that been a difficult thing to kind of just accept? Totally. Yeah, no, I mean, I think this year has been strange, like in some ways, um, I mean, it's kind of funny to have this year when I haven't been racing, haven't been traveling. And it's like, I have all these things that I, you know, haven't done with my life because of running. And like, you know, some of it's like just travel and like all these things you can't do during just like, you know, going out to the borough with my friends on like a Sunday night, or it's not Sunday, sorry, Friday night. Um, but like just things like that, that like um, I've had to say no to so much. So it's like of all the years to have like a free pass when you can do those things, it's like the one year the whole world shut down. So that's been a bit ironic, but um, but I've also really enjoyed um like I still love this sport and I, I can't wait to get back and, and kind of have some flow to it. But it has also been really nice having a year that's been a bit of a step away from it. Like in, in some, in some ways, just again, giving yourself an identity outside of running, even if it's just making sourdough bread and knitting at home with your cat, but it's like something that's a bit different, but um, yeah, like it's, it's always, it's been a bit of a challenge sometimes, as you say, like when your hobby becomes your job, like that's supposed to be a good thing, but it, it does leave you without a hobby, um, which is kind of a loss because it is a job. So it's really important. I'm not always good at doing this, but about finding the the things about it that you still love, because like it used to be when I was doing grad school that my break would be my run. Like that was what I look forward to all day was just getting up to go for my run well, now Yovan is like the thing. And especially when you're a full-time athlete, it's like, well, what if Yovan isn't good? Like what if something goes wrong on that run? And so I haven't really figured it out yet, but I think that's definitely a challenge a lot of elite athletes have. Well, you know, like anything, it's what you make of the situation, right? I mean, yeah. obviously COVID is a, it's a bad time for, I mean, it's a bad time for everybody. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it sucks. Um, but you know, it, it's just one of those things like, um, one of the things that you, you often hear um, with, or one of the things I, I've often heard with uh, one of the podcasts that I listen to is a military one and talking about um, soldiers coming home from, you know, do, do, doing their thing overseas. Um, you got to find your mission. You have to find your next mission. You know, mm-hmm. you, were, you were a soldier. That's over now. Now you have to adjust to civilian life again. You got to find that thing. And so not saying that, you know, running's done, like, no, 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 no. it'll be coming back. It'll be coming back. Yeah. Um, we don't know when, like, you know, like everything else, hopefully sooner. And now that we got the vaccine out, hopefully Probably, you know, yeah. things go okay. You know, that's a yeah. whole other set of problems, but you know, it's, it's also nice that, it, you know, like you said, like there's positives too. It's not like, you know, yeah, it's, I'm sure you would much rather be running than being stuck at home all day, but yeah, like anything, it is what you make of it. And it, it's nice to hear that at least, um, you know, yeah, I it's think as good as I, you can make it, I guess. It's easy. Like if you've had a, you know, I haven't had a bad 2020, like obviously I just missed the Olympics in 2016. And then I was so close to getting them in 2020. And then this happened. Um, but that, that it was just such a surreal thing. Like, um, yeah, like, I mean, when I was in, when I missed the team in 2016, I was actually left at home. So three of us qualified for the 5k and they chose to take two of us. And so that was like a really just, you know, not a 
nice way to not become an Olympian. And I remember like that night being like, obviously kind of like hysterically upset and being like, I don't want to do this. Like if I'm not going to make Olympics 2020, like I, I just don't want to do it. Like I, I, and then this happened and I was like, wow, like I never ever would have predicted that that would be what would happen. And even worst case scenario, not, not making it and obviously they'll go in 2021 and hopefully I'll, I'll be there then. So I'll, you know, I think if I don't make it, it'll be really tough. Um, but like, it was also still worth it. Like I was able to kind of look back and be like, like I, I wouldn't have changed the past three, four years of my life just because I didn't make the Olympics. Um, so that was kind of like, it's been a strange, like kind of your worst fear, but like not even, because I didn't even know that a global pandemic could uproot the Olympic team. Like that wasn't on the list of possibilities. So, um, but yeah, I also think there's been a sense of like camaraderie, like the whole world's kind of in it together, um, which has been nice, like in a, kind of messed up way. I, I think that we're not through the worst of it yet. I think there's still a lot more to come and stuff like that. And there'll be, you know, aftershocks and this past year and stuff, but it's been kind of like a neat, a neat year in some ways, I think. I think in like five years, we'll all be better for it, but maybe not right now. Well, and it's one of those things too, like when um, on the last podcast that I just did with uh, Vincent, um, he was talking about, um, you know, hockey players, you know, guys who were, who were going to be drafted, you know, going to make it mm-hmm. to the show, you know, every kid's dream, right. Making the NHL and, you know, big deal. And, you know, then this thing happens and, you know, just kind of sucks, sucks your breath away. You know, it's like, man, like it, it's, it's really tough thing to deal with, but yeah, you know, I think again, it's, it's how you want to look at it. You want to look at it half full, you want to look at it half empty. And I think, you know, if you look at it half full, you know, it's going to come back. And it's one of those things like it can also kind of reinstill that kind of makes it new again. Like when, when Mm -hmm. it does come back, that kind of like, man, like this is awesome. Like that kind of, um, that it's fresh, it's new, it's exciting again, you know? So there's also that. Yeah, no, it's true. And yeah, I mean, we all learned a lot about ourselves and stuff like, um, through the whole process, I think. So We'll see. I know my sports psych was saying to me that like she sees um, a huge difference on how everyone's handling depending on where they are in their career. That if, you know, like it just really depends what you were planning on doing with 2021. Um, that she's seen with how like people have responded, not necessarily like for better, for worse, just their kind of thought processes with it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. That's yeah, uh, totally. That's I'm, my voice is getting sore. Yeah, if you I know. As I say, my voice is uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it held up, it held up, so it's all good. But um, I just want to thank you again for for being here. I, I learned a lot on this podcast because I, awesome. I was a bit, um, good. I was a little bit worried because I um, I usually like to uh, well, not usually, I like to prepare for these. Um, right. I think I should. Um, <laughs> so it was kind of I was a little bit worried because I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I don't know. I don't know what to ask you. Like, I don't know anything. So I'm like, but oh, I think man, that's great because but... you can ask like the most, ba- I mean, it's a pretty basic sport, honestly, which is what's great about it. And that's the beauty of it, right? It, it's, it can, it, it is basic. And then there's also like a whole lot of mad science behind it too. So it's, it's kind of got yeah. that dichotomy to it. I, I like that, but um, thank you totally. so much for being here. I had a great time. Yeah, no problem. Well, hopefully um, we'll meet in person one day. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. It was really nice to, to do this as well. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks so much, Rachel.